You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Well, good morning. I was just wondering how I'd get here today. I was telling some people beforehand, I spent four hours in the bush yesterday cutting trees and loading up heavy logs. And by the end of the day, I didn't think I could stand up and I didn't know how I'd possibly get out of bed this morning. Um, but here I am. It was a decent sleep. Uh, just as Harold was uh, talking about that, I work for Digital Strategies, and that website is meant to be a resource for Christians. And so uh, I just encourage you to subscribe. There's a place to subscribe, and new articles will come out every once in a while. Far less frequent than I would like. Maybe once a month right now is my track record. I'm also producing videos for YouTube and things like that, things that Christians will hopefully be able to use as a resource, I don't know, for centuries, but at least for months, if not years to come. Now, the notes, everything that I'm talking about this morning, the slides you're going to see, have already uh, made a PDF of that presentation, and uh, the you see there on that link, just the, uh, and I'll have this note link up from time to time, so if you miss it right now, you're good. It'll come up again. So this morning, uh, I've called it our spiritual battle, and we're going to look at that passage that was just read. And uh, so let's launch into it and uh, just work our way through the passage. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, I find that the intensity of my attention that I devote to something is proportional to how badly I think I'm going to need this information. And I think a lot of times we just badly, badly underestimate how important what we're about to see is, how, how, how badly we will need this, how direly we will need this information. So uh, let's just uh, pause here for a second and look at a couple of things in this verse. Number one is schemes of the devil. Now, uh, I've found that, uh, you know, in this life, you don't often run face-to-face with demon-possessed people and have to call exorcists and stuff. It's not like sometimes in the horror movies. Now, that does happen, and from time to time, you may have to face something like that, but uh, that's uh, relatively infrequent in comparison to the daily. We wade up to our next daily in a culture where this war is going on, and it's an unseen enemy. They're very real. Thank goodness we don't see them walking around and manipulating people and doing whatever they do. It would really be difficult to focus on things that are good and wholesome and right if we could see everything that's going on. But I think it's important to note here that Jesus said... Whenever he, he's referring to the devil, speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the origin of deceit, the master of manipulation, the ultimate puppeteer. So the second thing that we want to note in here is that it says to stand firm. That's an interesting word. It occurs several times in this passage. There's a, a little passage I like, I, I've often remembered. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I have been in situations where some believers will say, oh, I think 
I think the devil is involved in this, or I think there's a spiritual whatever and stuff, and they will start quaking in fear. No. If you are walking with God, if you are submitted to God, there is no need to quake in fear. Uh, you forget who your God is. Uh, you forget that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and that infinite power is available through, from God to, to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. Now, this word flee uh, means run like mad. It's just like, it's not just that the devil... It's amazing to me that a being like the devil would actually flee from a Christian. Now, uh, let's get back to this idea of father of lies and schemes, who is ruler of the world. Now, I want to underscore how, seriousness, how, seri how serious our situation is, so that for the remainder of this passage, we'll be riveted to it. We'll be paying very close attention. But imagine that the governments and the media of the world each picked their top five deceivers and manipulators. These were people with uh, geniuses, like genius IQs, amazing people skills, uh, an enormous amount of knowledge, and you took the top five in each country, in each government, or in each major media, international, national media corporation. And then you assembled that group, and then you selected the top of that group, the best of the best. And this group of people had unlimited finances, resources, and everything else to personally pick you out as an individual, and their task was to deceive you, was to get you to destroy yourself ultimately in the end, was to get you to take wrong, make wrong decisions, be led down the garden path. Well, they would still have a ruler over them. They would still be one deceiver who, who tops them, and that is the father of lies, who Jesus also referred to as the ruler of this world. But he only can do what he's permitted to do, and Jesus says he's already officially been defeated. Practically speaking, he has some freedom still, but uh, there is the king of kings, and he is coming, and he's going to put an end to this kind of stuff. But... Then we begin to see that there is a very real being who has a plan for your life and is to destroy you. That's, and this, this being is not just uh, another person, another human being. Here's a couple of things to think about. The level of schemes we face, the best schemes, the best Let's say the best, uh, I don't want to call them scams because sometimes we, get so, we, we face so many of that, we get kind of blasé about it. Oh yeah, if you do this and that, you don't have to worry about the scams and so forth. But the best schemes are schemes where you have been manipulated into deceiving yourself. Those are really good ones. You personally have deceived yourself. Another excellent is 99% true and 1% false, but that 1% is the poison in the ointment. It'll slowly diffuse. And in engineering, we had to do an experiment once. It was measuring different rates of diffusion. And sometimes you'd look at this over here and you would say, this liquid here will never diffuse into this. This is just way too solid. You'd set up your experiment. You come back over the next number of days and see, oh, what is that? This is actually diffusing into what appears to be a relatively solid piece of matter. Now, here's another thing to think about. If we were, and I hope we don't do this, but if we were to try and manipulate somebody or deceive someone, it might take us hours, maybe days, perhaps even weeks or months. But 
the father of lies, a masterful deception can take decades or even decades in a person's life or even centuries to set up. These are elaborate schemes. These are not just Mickey Mouse stuff come up with, um, you know, by a bunch of kids in elementary school. And Satan's ultimate goal, he's described as a destroyer. He wants you to destroy yourself. He wants people to mutually destroy themselves. And he wants to destroy all of civilization. But not by external forces, by getting civilization to destroy itself. That's the ultimate deception. Now, another kind of deception is you think you have the ability to discern the truth, but in fact, you have only a glossing knowledge of the Word of God, and you've resisted the voice of the Holy spirit in your life and uh, wow there's a there's a door right there and I've lived long enough now I'll be at the big seven o next August and uh, why is this ridiculous how fast life goes? but when you lived a long time, you begin to see the people you've grown up with, and you knew maybe little little things they needed to handle and they weren't handling when they were young. And you begin to see how that begins to dissipate or not dissipate, diffuse into the person's life. And ultimately, by the time they're all my age now, the people I went to school with and went to youth group with, you see that many have actually had their lives destroyed. It's a, it's a train wreck or a dumpster fire. And when you trace back, how did this happen? It starts with very small things in the past elaborate schemes. So I hope I've underscored the seriousness of our situation. Now there's two ways to, uh, let's imagine you had to do something impossible. This, this group of five manipulators had unlimited resources and you had to get from here to London, England. And they were gonna, there was assassins and landmines and false detours and everything else. And they never told you anything about this. Your chances of making it to London, England would be pretty small. But what if there was a couple of things that you thought man, this doesn't really have anything to do about noticing the landmines and the assassins or anything. It just means do these things over here and you're going to make it to London, England. Despite all the schemes set against you, that's what's going to follow here. So what I have found in life is I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about the father of lies. I'm aware, well aware of the existence and that sort of thing. But if I'm doing the things that he talks about, that the Holy Spirit has given us to do through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, then I don't need to worry about all this kind of stuff. I can press on and serve God and accomplish his mission in life because we're not here by ourselves with, with no power whatsoever and no one looking out for us. No, we have the Almighty God who actually dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit and he's given us some tips here. So verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And, and this wrestle against flesh and blood I found very important for me personally, because there is a lot of people in this life, and, and they can rise to the top five or the top three of people who I would be tempted to regard as enemies. Often they might be in the media or academia or in politics and they're making decisions that just really are not good and they affect the lives of millions of people and I can see these as the enemies. And I can get decoyed into thinking those are the enemies when in fact that's not the enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's not human beings. The enemy or, the, or what he's lists here. And these are not rulers as, as far as the prime minister or the president. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, just interesting to take a look. A ruler is an authority figure who initiates activity or progress. 
process. I, I, most of the time, in fact, all the time here, if I, you see a definition or explanation coming up, I'm getting that from an analytical lexicon called, well, it's BDAG for short. It's got a lot of names and it. it's just BDAG. And so I'm just not making up these definitions here. I'm referring to BDAG where my Greek prof said, this is the number one lexicon that the Greek guys like to use because it was, really focuses on first century Greek as opposed to classical Greek. So an authority figure, so we're, this is, there are authority figures in this spiritual realm, the fall, some of the fallen angels who are in positions of authority over lower fallen angels. And we get glimpses of that in the book of Daniel, for example, where there are princes over entire countries, fallen things and so forth. These are where the real enemy is. And I, for example, in the Israeli Hamas situation that we have unfolding here, I see a ton of people all you know, thinking, oh, this is the enemy here, this is the enemy here, and they're just so, so totally decoyed. There's a much bigger game going on, and I don't even call it a game, it's a scheme. There's something much bigger going on here. Ultimately, there's the ruler of this world involved, and if you just play around with what the players, you're totally missing. It's like an arsonist setting fires everywhere, but you're totally oblivious to the arsonist and you're just focusing on the fires. No, that doesn't mean we don't say anything or do anything to uphold right, right, rightness. That doesn't mean that. It just means don't get decoyed into thinking that our enemy is flesh and blood. Authorities, transcend, again from BDAG, transcendent rulers bearing authority, transcendent. I mean, these are not just like the prime minister of certain country. No, these are, uh, these are authorities that actually span human governments, span history even. These things don't live like 75 years and then they're gone. They're thousands of years old. The application is huge. For every struggle between good and evil you see in this world, don't be decoyed into thinking that the enemy is human. And this is why we need to uphold. This is what, one of the reasons God says pray for those in authority like Harold did this morning. Now you may be really disappointed or disillusioned. And the more disappointed and disillusioned you are in a governing authority, the more maybe you should be praying for that governing authority rather than bad-mouthing or saying denigratory things. Remember that Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world, but also remember that Jesus is the king of kings. And I already talked about Israel and Hamas. The forces are much bigger than just those two players, much bigger, or even the countries that are allies with, with both. Bottom line is this. Don't be duped into focusing on all the fires while being utterly oblivious to the arsonist who is setting them, the father of lies, the ruler of this world. And I put temporarily in there because Jesus made it clear. When there, there's two places where he talked about the ruler of this world. And when you read that in context, you'll see ooh, the rulers of this world, his days are numbered. He's already been judged by the almighty God himself. Move into verse 13 now. It says, therefore, so therefore, given that we are all in a serious situation here, we have master manipulators, the father of lies, this whole world is a minefield of deception. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Here's the solution to the problem. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. There's that word again. And having done all to stand firm. Now again, I looked that stand firm up. It's to stand up against. And the implication here is without giving any ground whatsoever. I remember seeing a... a, a 
I guess a trailer or something for one of those Marvel movies, which, I, I, you know, they'd be nice to see sometime when I get the time, but I really haven't had time to watch more than two or three, maybe two. And there's somebody standing in the street, one of those superheroes, and there's some massive thing coming down the street. I can't remember what it was. A uh, huge truck or whatever. And the person just, and that superhero just stands in the thing, and the truck just piles in. And the, super, the superhuman figure doesn't even budge. The truck just wraps itself around as if it slammed into a titanium pole about six feet in diameter. This is the kind of idea of stand firm. And remember what Jesus said, what the Bible says about resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there is, there is no need to have even the faintest twinge of fear. If, if, and this is a big if, you are walking with God, the Lord and you are implementing what he says here. You can just sleep in peace at night. You can carry out God's mission knowing that it will be accomplished. And it may look like everything's going to pieces all around you. God knows all that. Nothing happens. If you are walking with him, nothing happens that he doesn't already know about and that he doesn't permit. And it's all to accomplish his purposes. So it's, I look at these, some of these superhero movies and I think, wow, like that's nothing, man, compared to the real thing of serving God. There you really, there really are, there really are enormous powers that God has, is backing you. It's the, it's, God himself who backs you. That's the only reason you can stand firm. It's of no ability in and of yourself. So he says, stand therefore. Again, the same word is you. So he keeps saying this. There's no need to budge. You just carry out your mission and you don't need to pay a whole lot of attention to all the landmines and assassins and whatever the enemy has lined up for you if you do this. So what is it that we're supposed to do? Fasten on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's just the first of the list here. So let's take a look at this a little more detail. What does the belt of truth look like? I think it's very important to understand a definition of truth. And this comes from the philosophers who worry about how do you, how do you define a true belief. This is called the correspondence theory of truth. A definition of a true belief. It's a, a belief is true if and only if it corresponds to the way things actually are. So if your truth doesn't correspond to the way things actually are, that's false. You need to, all of us want to constantly adjust everything we believe. And God is the one who can lead us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. He can lead us into truth and and call us when we start, when our truth, we, the things we want to believe. I'm not really interested in what I want to believe. I mean, I'd, there's a lot of things I'd like to believe that I wish it were true. I am more interested in what is, what is reality. What, are, what, what is really going on here and what do I need to do? Because sooner or later, if my truth is not aligned with the way things actually are, there will be a collision. And reality doesn't change. It's... I pay the price. So we're not interested in what, what we believe. Oops, spelling error there. But whether our beliefs correspond to moral reality. There is a moral reality. So the correspondence theory of truth, your beliefs need to correspond to reality, the way things actually are. There's actually a moral reality out there, and it's defined by God himself, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So God doesn't change People say, well, what if tomorrow he decides that murder is good and stuff? Uh, no, God does not. There's no variation within the Father of lights. He has that degree of 
excellence beyond which it's not logically possible to be more excellent. So uh, there's a moral reality, there's a spiritual reality out there, and again, we have to look to God and His Word to know what that is. There's a logical reality. I, I presented an argument for God's existence at the University of Manitoba, and it was just cold, hard logic, and one of the students said, okay, the logic is good, the argument's valid, but if it conflicts with what science says, then logic has to go, and science wins. But I responded, no, science is actually built on logic. There is a logical reality. There are certain basic first principles in logic, and so forth. So God ultimately, in fact, when Jesus said he is the truth, a lot of implications there. So small lies and small deceptions lead to huge lies and massive life-destroying deceptions. Remember that our enemy is the father of lies and we must have, so this is why, the belt of truth is sword, we must have nothing to do with deception and lying. Because when we do, we now enter into the realm of the enemy who is the father of lies. We have now opened up for the puppeteer because you have embraced a certain type of small white lies and small white lies will grow. How can we have the breastplate of righteousness? The Lord looks at our hearts and the key and central area to be concerned with is not your actions, but your private internal life. The actions will follow from your private internal life. It can be a private, carefully screened dumpster fire in your life, the full extent which you probably aren't even aware of, and you can still make your actions look good in public most of the time for people who don't know you that well. They just see you maybe once on Sunday or whatever, occasionally on the street. It's far more important to look within. So this breastplate of righteousness, the first thing we need to think about is how am I doing internally, in secret, when nobody's looking? And that's where the real battle takes place, or battle, that's where the real surrender takes place. And here's just a life lesson. Some of you are old enough to already be seeing this. Tiny, seemingly inconsequential, call them flaws, will steadily grow like a tumor over the course of your life to ultimately neutralize your testimony and fruitfulness if there's a problem in the internal righteousness within your own heart. It is so critical to look to where you are inside, how well you are doing inside. So how can we have the breastplate of righteousness? And this is so key, I just want to spend a couple of uh, points on this. Daily, total surrender to Christ. Nothing held back, all in. I, I personally cannot afford, I, I can't afford to hold anything back from Jesus Christ. Because when I do, and I have done, oh, it's just, it's bad, it's ugly. I can't afford that. I have to be totally surrendered to him. Begin to ask God. Here's a, more of an application, and this is what I do almost on a, pretty much on a daily basis because I need to do this. That's why I say daily total surrender to Christ. Begin to ask God to take you on that road where you begin to love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, not as you understand what that means, but to the full extent of what he actually meant when he said that. That's going to need divine intervention. Because I have no idea. I would be a fool to claim that I knew the full extent of what Jesus said when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But 
when I began to ask God on a, this is a road day. Eh? This is not like you pray for this and all of a sudden you love God that way. It's more of a, at least in my experience, it's more of a road that you will travel on for the rest of your life, drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to actually loving God the way he meant when he said with all your heart. But I believe, just on the basis of a little bit I've seen thus far, that this is the secret to divinely produced righteousness is loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because when you love God, you love the Father of lights, from whom every good thing and every perfect gift comes. You become more in love with all of these, with the one who is the origin of everything. And the other things of this world begin to seem just so repulsive, actually, the wrong things. So here's an example. This prayer is in your notes. This would be an example prayer. I'm just going to work my way through this. Father, here I am. I totally place myself in your hands. No terms, no conditions, nothing held back. If there is an area in my life that I've withheld from you, I want you to invade it right now. Do to me anything you want. Change me in any way you desire. From this day on, take me on that road where I begin to truly love you to the full extent of what you actually meant when you said, with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I ask this in the name of my Lord and Savior and King, Jesus Christ. And the reason I, I put that in the notes, uh, I just suggest you take that home. This is a serious prayer. And I, pray, I, I have to pray something like this on a daily basis because I am just, we're all prone to mess up. I have to pray this. It's a matter of survival, spiritual health and survival. Now let's move to 16 and 17. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith. Part of faith is knowing and being confident that nothing happens that God does not permit. So you may have a disaster happen. I mean, it could be a relatively minor one, like your engine destroys itself on the car. It's going to cost you 4,000 bucks. Okay, Lord. You knew this was going to happen. This is not just something to rant and rage about. You knew this was going to happen. And I know that in the end, you have my best interests in mind as what's going to make me a better person, more spiritually mature, draw me closer to you. And I, I just don't really enjoy this, Lord, but thank you that you love me and that you knew this was going to happen and you've got a plan. He has a plan for human governments, for history. And uh, when somebody gets elected that we really think, wow, like, uh, how, do you see that person as the enemy? Well, as many people constantly point out, no. God knows what the culture and the civilization needs to either discipline them or bless them. Take the helmet of salvation. Remember those guys who tried to cast out, the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out demons? And the demon-possessed man turned on them. They said, we know about the apostle Paul and Jesus, but who are you? And they fled the house. They had a pretty good beating, I guess, because when they fled the house, they were stark naked, running for their lives. But if you are saved, if you belong to God, God himself dwells within you in the person of his Holy Spirit. And then there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I would say you need to be a lifelong lover of the word of God. And I say lover as opposed to legalistic... Um, practitioner, whatever. I, I love, in the morning, getting up and making a cup of coffee, 
going to a, one of two comfy chairs I have or in the summertime heading outside. And I just spend time reading his word and I have a little journal and I'll write stuff in it. That My mom taught me how to do that when I was eight and a half. Don't, don't leave it too long. If you've got kids, when they're old enough to understand what they're reading, uh, get them started on this and present it to them in the way that this is just something we do as people of God. It's something that's absolutely essential if you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ talked about. But I am also appalled. I'm just shocked. I spoke a few weeks ago at a place where I had assumed that most of the young people there have pretty good Bible knowledge. I was shocked at some of the... I had, if you said, well, what, maybe they didn't know about this or that, well, you probably... <laughs> it was worse than that. Oh, man, how do you survive without knowing what God says in the Scriptures? Because... One thing, I don't know what all the counterfeit bills look like, and I don't know what, I certainly don't even, I'm an expert in what a real bill looks like, but I hear that some people are trained how to recognize the real, there's things about it, you can see through this, and if you do that, and if you have ultraviolet light, this and that. So they learn how to recognize the real deal, and if that's the case, this, the scripture is the real deal, so that you don't have to worry, you're not so susceptible not so susceptible. This doesn't mean you'll never be led down the garden path or deceived about something, at least temporarily. God may allow us sometimes to be deceived because we've got a little problem of pride inside. We need to be humbled and we need to walk right into a disaster of our own naivety because we refuse to listen. But the scriptures, I absolutely need them. I, I, I like, they're the sword of the spirit. The, I, I had a remarkable uh, talk once. It was, a, it was a presentation in Victoria. Satan versus Jesus Christ, who loses? And I, there was a man who was so evil that even in the foyer, I just didn't know who this guy was. I walked in the foyer and all of a sudden I saw this guy in the third row and the evil was so thick and rank that it overflowed into the foyer. And I thought, I need to talk to the MC right now. We need to have a little prayer meeting because we got a problem in the third row. So we prayed, and I had already resolved that with that guy, I'll say nothing but scripture. It was incredible. He was the first to his feet in the Q&A. And his first question was, who do you think you are speaking for God? And I just quoted, we're ambassadors for Christ. The scriptures say that we are ambassadors for Christ. And what was amazing was that he asked three questions. I gave three answers, which were basically just three quotes from the scripture. Instantly, that line of questioning was over and dropped. I've never seen anything like it in a normal academic debate where, well, okay, but I don't like this or that. There was no pushback. There was no argument whatsoever when faced with the Word of God. It is a sword in a very real way when it comes to combating real evil. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Be on the alert for all the saints. It's not just you who are facing, the, uh, you know, are involved in this world where the father of lies has temporarily got some ruling capabilities here. It's not just you. We're all in this. We're all in this battle, and we all need to look out for one another. And sometimes we see stuff, wow, I think, that, not sure what to, but you need to pray. We need to support each other in prayer. And sometimes when there's a case just this week, my wife says, oh, this, uh, there's a problem here. We talked about it. We've been back and forth for a couple of days with one of the women in, uh, involved in her large study. And uh, at this point, we've resolved, I, I, boy, 
I think the best thing to do is we need to pray. We need, you need to seriously pray for this person. That's step number one. Don't do a thing until you've seriously prayed. And maybe you don't even do anything because so happens uh, there's other positive inputs involved as well. We must have each other's backs. And we do that by being sensitive. Boy, I just don't. And a lot of times you won't know what the problem is. You just say, oh, you know, I just don't feel right about what this person's doing. I can't put my finger on or I got a red flag. Not sure what it is. You know, maybe not. Maybe the course of action isn't to start doing an investigation. No, I think the first course of action is start, Lord, start praying for that person. Just start praying. You have no idea what, and maybe that's all you need to do. God has other people. You just start praying. Quiet prompting of the Holy Spirit. 19 and 20 is interesting. He says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in change, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, this is amazing to me. If the apostle Paul needed and asked for prayer in order to say the right things without any fear or shame, if apostle Paul asked for prayer, how much more do we need it? And I know we need it. I need it. I mean, it's, I just spoke on Friday night to some students at the University of Guelph, and it was on sharing your faith in a post-Christian world. And one of the questions was, what do you find the most awkward about trying to share your faith? That was an interesting discussion. They broke in discussion groups. And uh, wow, I could see Apostle Paul, if he needed prayer, we need prayer. Don't hesitate. How many times do you wish you knew what to say? You just don't. Start praying for one another and ask people to pray for you as well. So that you may, and then we get to the closing here, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And I want to underscore the last phrase, encourage your hearts. There's, a many, there's quite a few different strong scriptures that talk about the importance of encouraging one another day after day, lest any one of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look how deceitfulness got worked into that verse. We need to encourage one another to do the right thing, to assemble together. He says, let us, this is Hebrews, but let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, in other words, glad to see you here this morning. We need this. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's talking about the return of the Lord. As the, as the day draws near, the culture will get worse and worse, and the temptations to not come to church will get stronger and stronger. And it'll be out of so far to sink the authentic church and our culture that, wow, I'm not even sure going to church is cool anymore. But he says, you will need it even more, the, of, that we need church the assemble and fellowship more now than we ever have in the history of the church. Why? Because he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then finally, the last verse here is peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying or incorruptible love. And I think it's always important to look at the, the greetings and when he's saying goodbye, what does he emphasize? This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. And he's not just saying to the believers in Ephesus. This is what he desires for us. The Holy Spirit desires peace. Peace that passes understanding in the face of a world that looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket. You can actually have 
peace, because you know the one who oversees all this everything, history, and you know he's coming back. There's peace. There's love with faith. You can pray, God, help me to see people as you desire me to see them. And then grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all sinned. We all need grace, and we need to extend grace to other people. Um, and then we need to love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying and uncorruptible love. Let's close in prayer, and then I'll turn it back to... Father, I thank you for what you've told us here. I thank you that we can rest in you, that we need not fear the enemy. But I pray that you would put it within ourselves, a craving and a hunger to see these things that you, you mentioned in this passage here, to be, have them built into our lives on a daily basis. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.